Hello, podcast listener. You're listening to the Antioch Community Church in Dallas, Texas podcast, and I'm your host, Zach Daniel. I want to thank you for your attention today. I am praying that God blesses you, uh, pours out His grace on you. You encounter the generosity and love of Jesus today as you listen to the sermon. Uh, we are working through the book of 1 Peter, and today we're talking about that grace gives us the gift of transformation. As we get into the sermon, I've got a few announcements from our communications team before we jump into the scripture. Hi, welcome to Antioch Dallas. I'm John, and I just want to let you know about a few things happening here in the next few weeks. First, we have World Mandate. That's our annual global missions conference. This year, Dallas is a satellite location. That'll be January 27th and 28th. There'll be live worship and great speakers like Francis Chan, Tracy Evans, and Jimmy Seibert. You can find out more information and register online at our website. As we are in the midst of Advent and we look forward to Christmas and celebrating the birth of Jesus, I want to let you know about our holiday schedule coming up. On Christmas Eve, we'll have two services here at the church, and then on Christmas Day and then New Year's Day, we will not be having services. And so we want to encourage you on Christmas Day to just spend time with your family and remembering what Christmas is all about. And then on New Year's Day, spend time thinking forward to the new year. Spend some time with the Lord in prayer and listening. And we just want to get ready for all that God has for us as individuals and as a church in 2017. We are right in the middle of our That We Made campaign, and you guys have already been so generous. We can't wait to see what God does through this. As with all of our offerings, you can give in the back of the room in the white box or through our website. We know that God is going to do great things in our church and in our community as we all give together. Those are your announcements. I am so thankful for you, Antioch Dallas, and get ready to hear a great message from our pastor, Zach Daniel. Hey guys, today is an exciting day in the life of our church. It's giving day number two in our That We May campaign. Yeah, a little drum roll, I appreciate it. So as you know, we are in the process of moving from this facility to our new facility on 635. Been doing tours this week of life groups, taking them through the place. So if you haven't been, I'd love for you to get in on a tour. It's just amazing to be there. And to fund this move that we believe God is calling us to, uh, we are raising $150,000 as a community. So far, we've raised $30,000 through the first giving day. Today is giving day number two. And then giving day number three is January the 8th. And we're asking and we're praying together, God, how would you have us as individuals, as a community, be a part of what you're doing in this move? And each week, we've been sharing different kind of why behind the what? Like, why are we doing this? Why does this matter? What happens when we give? Today, I wanted to share with you a scripture that I've found really meaningful as I've prepared this week for my own gift of giving to the campaign. It's John chapter 3, verse 16, maybe the most famous verse in the Bible. And here, whoa, there you go. Here it is. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I don't know why that verse alone, I get the believeth in there. It's like memorized from a long time ago, whatever. Uh, but man, think about that verse. Think about what that says. Hone in actually on the phrase, God gave. We realize that the central act of our faith 
The central piece of our salvation is the fact that God gave. In that, we see that God is generous. And every single person here who's received Jesus, whether you realize it or not, you have been the recipient of God's abundant, maybe even radical generosity to you and to me. Not maybe, definitely. God is a radical giver. And that's meant to mark us and and touch our hearts and profoundly shape the way we view God, the way we view ourselves, the way we view life, the way we view the church and our and our mission. And then look what's said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. The apostle Paul is talking about our calling as those who have received the gift of God's Son, the gift of Jesus, what we're celebrating in Advent. He says this. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What's he saying? He's saying when we receive the generosity of God, when we receive Jesus, things shift inside of us. We no longer live according to our own accord. We no longer are meant to kind of compare, well, what's the person on the right of me doing? What's the person on the left of me doing? What did this person say I should do? No, no, no. We're supposed to leave those things behind, and we're supposed to look to our Heavenly Father. It says as children of God, look to our Heavenly Father and let Him be our standard in the way that we give and the way that we love. We're to be marked to imitate the generosity of God. So when you step into that, when this becomes not just words on a page, when, when as Stephen says, it's not just an amen, but it becomes a man or a woman and walks it out, when we walk in that generosity, you know what we do? We demonstrate the glory of God, the beauty of God, the generosity of God to one another, to our city, and to the nations of the world. This is how the fame of Jesus spreads when his people respond and imitating him and demonstrating that. So when we give today, it's not a, well, you know, I heard Christians are supposed to give. I guess I should give something. It's not a should thing. It's not a, um, well, I don't know. I guess, you know, this person told me I should do it. That's not what this is about. It's not obligation. It's not compulsion. It's like we're meant to let the generosity of God touch our hearts in such a way that it's like, this is a privilege that we may be a part of what God's doing. That I would would just give because I want to be in. I'm so moved by the goodness of God. That's what this is about. And when we think about it, I realize this year, this time of year, some of you, might be sitting in surplus. It might be a year where you're like, man, this has been a year of promotion and bonus and extra sales and, and whatnot. Or it might be a year of, of, of lack. We're like, ooh, this has been a tight year. This is really helpful. This scripture is really helpful for me to look to Jesus and realize that Jesus gave sacrificially. I might give and it might affect my, my, my coffee shop budget. Same thing for you, right? It might affect the vacation that you or I take this summer or don't take. 
It might affect how cool our spring wardrobe is or is not, right? It might, it might creep into our lifestyle. But when we look to Jesus and we realize that he gave his life, he gave everything sacrificially for you and for me, and we let that touch us, it melts our hearts. It melts our, our selfishness. It melts our fear about lack. It melts our just like, I've got to have it today. And it's just like, man, God, thank you. And let me be a part of seeing this expand to someone else. So I want to ask you to consider that. I want to ask you to pray about that. I want to ask you to reflect on the generosity of God to you and let that shape how you respond. Don't give because I asked you to give. Don't give because you felt like you should. Let God birth something in you, and I want to invite you into that. So as we pray, if you want to give to this, if this is like, man, that we may, I want to be a part of that, then you can give in the white box in the back where it says it's a joy to give to God, His church, and His purposes. You can give online, and I'll update us all next week at kind of how today's giving day has gone. But will you pray with me uh, just over this giving project and all that it means? Jesus, thank you that you're radically generous. Thank you that, that our faith is built on your generosity that we've all received. When we receive you, we receive the generosity of God. And I pray that we would imitate that generosity, that we would give and love like you do, that our hearts would be softened, that our fears would be quieted, that our anxiety <coughs> and our selfishness would be put down and love would well up in our hearts and joy would well up that we may be a part of what you're doing, Lord. Pray that you would speak to me and you would speak to our friends and you would you would move in our midst, Lord, in a way that causes the fame and the name of Jesus to shine brightly in our city and in our nation and the nations of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Will you turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to continue our series on strong grace today by continuing working through, studying through the epistle of Peter to these young Christians. Chapter 2, verse 1 starts out like this, and it says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, speaking about Jesus, as you come to Jesus, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Powerful scripture. I want us to look at this today, and I want to start out by asking you a question. In elementary school, what was your favorite school subject? Maybe it was math. Maybe it was English. Mine, hands down, was recess. 
Any big recess fans, favorite class, I know there's more of you than that. Yes, we love recess. To be a 7-year-old, 8-year-old, 9-year-old boy, or even a 37-year-old grown man, you've got to sit down, you've got to focus, you've got to be quiet, you've got to work for several hours, and then you get this time to go outside with your friends, to run unhindered and just play and do stuff. Man, I loved recess. It's a great class, my favorite class. I was the, my best my best grades were in recess. And at my school in particular, on the playground, we would have contests where we would see who could jump out of the swings the, the farthest, right? We would play freeze tag. Any freeze tag fans out there? Try playing now as an adult. Try playing freeze tag with a six-year-old or seven-year-old, you'll realize it's like the best workout in the world. You'll be out of breath in like 20 seconds, and they'll be laughing at you. Why are you so tired? Played freeze tag. We would play baseball, basketball, maybe hide-and-go-seek kind of in the playground, or kickball. And I remember one time in particular that we'd had several inclement weather days in a row, which for a teacher could be one of their greatest fears yeah, we've got some teachers in the room that just nodded because you realize you've got to keep the kids inside all day. Not just one day, but multiple days in a row. So by day three, like kids are like uh, doing backflips off their, their desk and, and they're just they're so, so much energy built up. So at my school, I think we'd had three days or so of this kind of indoor recess in a row. And the playground wasn't really ready after the rain we'd received, but I think the teachers were ready. So they're like, oh, we're just going to send them out today. Maybe not the best idea in hindsight, but it's what they did. And so they sent us out. And, you know, the playground wasn't really dry uh, from the rain. It was still muddy. In fact, parts of it looked like a swamp, or maybe you could do a tough mudder there, right? But I think the teachers were just at their wits end. I learned this because after I graduated college, I taught for several years, and I saw it on the other end. And now as a parent, I definitely experienced the, when it's rainy outside, what do we do? We got to get these kids running around. Anyway, but at that point, I'm maybe eight or nine years old, and I'm like, finally, recess. We go outside, and we're playing kickball that day. And I'm, I'm competitive, uh, and so I'm locked in on this kickball game. You know, kickball, when you're nine, those, those results are really important to your life trajectory. At least it felt that way to me. So we're playing kickball, and the ball is kicked, and I'm running to get it, and it goes into the swamp. And I'm running full speed. I don't care. This game matters, right? I probably didn't think this through all the way. And I run, and I hit this patch of mud, and my feet fly out from under me. And I go into the air, and then I slide through the mud, and, man, I am just covered at this point. Not like a little mud on your shorts or a little mud on your shirt. Like, I've turned into swamp thing. Like, I'm just covered. You know, and I can imagine what the teachers were thinking when they saw me. You know, they were kind, but they were like, we've got to get this kid cleaned up. So they called my mom. Never a good thing for the teachers to call your mom, right? Your son has gotten all muddy. He's covered in mud. We need you to bring some clothes up to him, help him get cleaned up so he can finish school. So my mom comes up. She brings, you know, these, these clean clothes, and then she helps me get out of my dirty clothes, helps me get cleaned up, helps me put on these new clothes that I could finish out the day. I just 
get all this mud and junk off of me, right? I want you to think about that story because that's the language that Peter is using as we turn into this section of the text. He's talking about putting some things off. He's even using the language of putting off dirty clothes, putting away these mud-soiled clothes, and putting on some new things, right? In, in verse, verse 1, he says, put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So he's talking about take these clothes and, and put them off, and you're going to put on some new clean clothes. That's where we're going. And so as we're going to study this passage, what we're going to see is that grace gives us transformation. Grace brings change in our lives. Now, as we're talking about the grace of God, it's important for us to realize that it's multifaceted. So we saw in chapter 1 that the grace of God means God's uh, unmerited favor on our lives, his acceptance of us through what Christ has done on our behalf. We saw that the grace of God gives us a new identity, that you get a new name, that the grace of God gives us a new purpose or calling. It gives us a new power source. We saw from Pastor Stephen last week that it gives us a new hope, a hope that doesn't let us down, that grace meets us right there with all of these gifts. It means our gracious acceptance, that when we receive Christ, that we've received the great mercy of God, that we've been recipients of God's abundant generosity, that we've been recipients of God's forever faithfulness, that that's our story. That's what grace means. But that's not the only thing grace means. Grace also means another dimension is not just the generous acceptance of God, but it's also transformation, that grace transforms us, or it's power from God to live a new way. And that's what we're going to see here, this other dimension of grace that's important for us to understand. Now, as people, when we start talking about transformation, when we start talking about change, we, we have like a, a love-hate relationship with change. At some level, we love change. Like we think about, man, I would, I would love transformation. I would, I, let's put it this way, an upgrade. Maybe you're flying home for Christmas. You go to the airport. The person says, hey, how would you like an upgrade to first class for free? There's none of us that will turn that down. There's none of us that will say, actually, I want to sit in the last row by the stinky bathrooms in between those two, like, big dudes. That's where I want to sit. No one says that. You say, free upgrade? Well, well, sure. You go to a hotel and say, would you like to upgrade your room for free, complimentary upgrade? You're like, I'm in. You know, you don't say, put me in that smaller room. No, I'll take the bigger one. Apple is making millions of dollars off of all of us. Hey, new iPhone, upgrade. You want to upgrade? Like, we're just drawn to it, almost like bugs are drawn to light. We're just obsessed with upgrade, right? And at the same time, change terrifies us. Because what if that change is not good? What if, what if we, we don't like it? What if it, it turns out bad? I, I'm kind of, even if I don't really like my circumstances, at least they're familiar to me. And so we, we wrestle with, we want change, but we really want to know if it's going to be good change. And if it's good change, we're wholeheartedly in, Right? What we're going to see is the transformation that God brings is such a demonstration of his goodness 
And my hope for you is as we walk through this today and you see this dimension of grace, that your heart will be moved toward what God wants to do in your life, the transformation that he wants to bring in your heart in your relationships, in your marriage, in your family, in your roommates, in your community, in our city, because we'll see the goodness of the change that he's bringing. And I want to focus on three ways that grace transforms us, that we see that. Number one, we see that grace gives us the gift of transformation of character. That grace changes our character for the better. Number two, that grace gives us the, tr- the gift of transformation that changes our longings. It changes our desires. And number three, that grace gives us the gift of transformed motivations. That grace changes our motivations. So let's start with number one as we study together, transformed character. So note in verse one, Peter says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. These are words that speak about these young Christians, their character, the way that they relate to others, their relationships, the way they do life, how people experience them, right? And he's talking about now there's going to be a new way to live. Put these other ways off. You want to know why this is really good news? Because chapter 2 comes after chapter 1. Now, that may seem obvious to you, but it's really important. So to help make this make sense, as a parent, the only time you give your kids the talk about being kind to one another is when they're not being kind, right? The the only time, when I come home from work and my wife, she's awesome, she's right here. If I get the look from her, I know it means we've got to have the kindness talk because the kids have been at each other's throats. So we get the talk. The only way you give the, the sharing talk to your kids is when they're being self-centered, right? That's the only time those talks come out. So think about the significance that Peter is writing, and he's feeling the need, the Holy Spirit is moving in him to address these particular issues with these particular Christians. Malice, envy, slander, uh, hypocrisy. It's because they're hypocrites, It's because they're envious. It's because they're slandering one another. It's because they have evil desires that they're fighting with one another and tearing one another down and being deceitful and being hypocritical, right? Why is that good news? Because that means that you and I, we can find ourselves right in this story. That we can be like, this is for me. And note, again, chapter 2 after chapter 1, Peter doesn't say, hey, get rid of your hypocrisy. Get rid of your envy, get rid of your slander, get rid of your deceit, and then God will give you a new name. And then God will pour out his favor on you. And then God will be generous to you. And then God will bless you. And then God will give you hope. No, no, no. Chapter 1 comes first. That even to hypocrites, even to those that just compare themselves to everyone else and are marked and just owned by jealousy, even to liars, to people who cheat on their taxes and cheat on their spouses, even to those type of people, this is who Jesus came for. And that's really good news, that these Christians receive the grace of God not because of what they have done. That's what every religion in the world teaches. By your own works, 
pray enough, give enough, work hard enough, do the right thing enough, be honest, then God will bless you. Then you'll kind of have some sort of favor with God. right? That's what every religion in the world teaches. Christianity, the exact opposite. It says it's not based off your record or your works. It's based off his record, his works, what he did. That's how we receive the grace of God. Hello, that's a good word. That's for us. And then having received the grace of God, we're not defined, locked into, stuck in these broken ways of our character. That there's power for transformation. That those who've received the free favor of God, now grace is at work to transform them. Question for you, if you're thinking about relationships and you're a person that's owned by envy or jealousy or hypocrisy, like you're always like, man, I hope no one figures me out. I'm going to be this way with this group and this way with another group. If you're one of those people, what are the quality of your relationships? It's not very good. You would not have high-quality relationships if they're marked by comparison. Like, if you think about your best friends, the relationships that are the strongest, there's probably not a whole lot of comparison. If you find yourself comparing yourself to someone else and them comparing them, themselves to you, it doesn't lead to a really healthy relationship. If you, your best friends are probably not hypocrites that you find out they've been talking about you behind your back. Like, it's just, that doesn't lead to good relationships, right? And yet, we do it. We all do those things. But here's what Peter is saying. Hey, if you'll embrace the new clothes, if you'll let grace take off those muddy clothes that you've been wearing, and we can put on some new clothes, clothes that are marked by love, what's going to happen to your relationships? You're going to have better relationships. You're going to have more meaningful friendships. You're going to have more meaningful marriages. You're going to have a more meaningful family. You're going to have more meaningful roommate relationships. You're going to have more meaningful, like, Right, you see the goodness of, man, the grace of God wants to transform me that I might love people more, that I might have healthier relationships, that I might have more meaningful friendships. The grace of God wants to transform my character to be like that. That's the upgrade that we will all say yes to. And I was thinking just uh, about this and meditating on this, and I was thinking back to my own life and realizing, man, the grace of God has changed my character in so many ways. I'm not fully arrived. I often have setbacks or, or failures or, or do things that I'm just like, man, why am I still being envious? Why am I still being angry? Why am I still, like, I, sometimes it feels like three steps forward, two steps back. But at the same time, when I look back, I'm not the same man that I was when Christ saved me. He's changed so many things about my character. And Christianity is doctrinal truth. It is a statement of faith. It is Jesus Lord, God raised him from the dead. Yes, but it's also a story of changed lives. Jesus said that you would know the, the, the tree by its fruit, meaning you would understand the quality of someone's relationship with God, the quality of the depth to which they receive the gospel by the fruit that it brings. So Christianity is about changed lives. And when I started thinking about the way that God has grown me in humility, 
and grow me in love for people and grow me in a heart to serve. And, and again, I have miles and miles and miles to go. But my wife can tell you, my friends can tell you, I mean, there are lots of issues I need to work on. But at the same time, man, the grace of God has changed me. I'm not wearing the same clothes that I wore when I came to him the first time. And it's a process. And, and I want you to know, man, I know that the grace of God has changed you. And if you want something encouraging today, take time to reflect on your own story and the way that God has worked in your life and review how has he changed your character. What, 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 what clothing has he taken off, muddy clothes he's put away and put something new in you? Share that with a friend. Go to lunch today and talk about that or talk about that in your discipleship group. You're going to get built up, right? And so often, guys, we tear down. Uh, when, when we stumble, when we make a mistake, we tear down uh, kind of in unbelief what was planted in faith. And I just want to tell you, though the transformation in your life may be small, and you may feel like, man, I'm, I'm failing in so many areas, I want you to know that transformation is real, and it's meaningful, and it matters, and it's the grace of God at work in your life. And this means that you are no longer have to live as, well, that's just the way my family is. You no longer have to live there. You no longer have to be defined by the words that teacher spoke to you, that that friend spoke to you, that that person that's in your family spoke to you about how you'll never be this and you'll never change and you're always like this. You don't have to be defined and to be shaped by that because there's a different word over your life that the grace of God is for you. And that's good news. That's really good news, right? So we can say, well, man, I want to, God, what might you want to do in this season? What might be the thing for 2017 that you're calling me to put off in this new thing that you're birthing in my character and in my relationships? That's, that's what's going on here. Second thing that we see is that grace transforms our desires. doesn't just stop with our character, but look at verse 2. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Look at that phrase, long for the pure spiritual milk. Longing, desire. So now he's not speaking to the way they're relating to other people, but he's speaking to their desires within. Can I tell you a true but embarrassing story? I'm, I'm going to go for it anyway. It's, it's just So whether you want it or not, here it comes. So fast forward from the kickball uh, mud mud fest deal to, to junior high. And I start getting into working out, and I find that I just, I, I'm like obsessive about working out. And so I go to Barnes & Noble, I go back to their health and fitness section, and I find the Arnold Schwarzenegger bodybuilding Bible. Yeah, just a little clap for that. Purple book, Arnold on the front of it, 14-year-old boy, and you're like, wow, I found the holy grail. So this book is 600-ish pages. I mean, it's huge, and it's filled with pictures of bodybuilders and then them talking about their workouts that they did to get that way. And I bought this book, and I took it home, and I would read this book and read this book and read this book, and then I'd go try and do the workouts. Now, I will tell you, the book left out all the 
illegal drugs that people were taking that helped them get that big. That, that's, a, that's another story for another day. But, but man, I was, I was into it. And so uh, I found in the seasons when we would go to church, I found church really boring. Uh, so if you're here today and you're bored, I, I remember what it feels like, right? I was just like, man, this music is so weird, and the preacher talks about stuff. I don't even know what he's saying, right? And so I would, what I would do is if I knew we were going to church, I would spend 30 to 45 minutes preparing by meditating on the Arnold Bodybuilding Encyclopedia, looking at the workouts and the pictures to give my brain enough fuel that I could sit through the entire service and just be thinking about workouts that I could try that week and what this bodybuilder said and what that bodybuilder said. That's what, that's what I would do. That's how I would make it through. Now we laugh. That is embarrassing, right? But, but I know and you know that sometimes we do the same thing. Like your deal may not be Arnold's bodybuilding encyclopedia, but it might be that promotion at work. It might be what that person said last night. It might be what's on social media, like when you're sitting here, you know, like I, we do that same thing. That's where my desire was. I didn't care about anything else. I was like, this is what I want. And if I could just have this, I would be satisfied. I would be complete. I would be the pinnacle of a man. I would just be, this would be it. Right? That's, that's where I was. One of the biggest things that I noticed when I came to Christ, when Jesus saved me. It's funny for me to say I came to Christ. He came to me. He opened my eyes. I don't even really know how to describe it. But man. He found me, and he saved me, and he started to change me, and he started to change my character, but he also started to change my desires. He started to change the things that I longed for. I still like to work out. That was still interesting to me, and I, and I, and I like that, but I found within me this longing for God, this thing of like, man, it's not, that, it's not bodybuilding that's going to give me what I need. Like, that's a vain hope. It's not a promotion at work or whether this person says that they like you or don't like you that's going to give you what you need. But God is the one who's all satisfying. He's the hope that I can really seek for that won't let me down. And so I would find these times where I would read the Bible, and it would honestly be like firecrackers, like in my heart as I read of just like, wow, this is amazing. In times of worship where I experience the presence of God, and I'd just be like, this is the thing that I long for. And I would find myself, instead of just filling my mind, meditating on Arnold Schwarzenegger's bodybuilding encyclopedia, I'd find myself just thinking about the goodness of Jesus and the honor and the privilege of getting to be a part of seeing people come to know him. And my friends that were experiencing Jesus transform their lives and what God might be calling me to do, and it's just like my desires changed. And that's been 17 years ago, and there's seasons where you'll find desires strengthen and then wane, and and I've experienced times of renewal and refreshing since then that, again, it's that same thing of, God, you're so good. You're the one that I want. I long for you. I want you to think about your own story. If you were preaching today, how would you say that Jesus has changed your desires? I, I bet you've got a story. I bet you've got a story worth telling that someone needs to hear about how God has worked in your heart and awakened desires that weren't there for him and for the things of God. 
And maybe as you think about that and you retell that, your heart's going to be softened. And maybe the Lord's going to speak to you about some areas where he wants to awaken fresh desire, fresh longing here in the new year. Right? And I love how it says, long, like a newborn infant, long for pure spiritual milk. So think about that image of a newborn baby just longing for milk and then being satisfied. When we long for God, those longings aren't met with emptiness. God doesn't bring out the longing and then not meet it. But he brings out the longing and then he satisfies us with himself, with the Lord is good. It's just, man, God transforms. Grace transforms our desires. Third thing that I want you to see is that grace gives us the gift of transformation of our motives. Here's what Peter says. He says, as you come to him being Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now now note what he doesn't say. Right, because he's given them instruction. He's called them to something. And right, typically that's followed up with, here's why that matters. Right? And the motivations of most of us, most of mankind, are can be boiled down into pride, fear, or self-centeredness. Just if I'm being really honest, right? What do I mean by that? That's kind of a hard saying. Here's what I mean. When we read something like, hey, put off uh, hypocrisy. We're going to say, yeah, I should put that off. I'm not the kind of person that's a hypocrite. I hate hypocrites. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I need to be this type of person, a truthful person, right? And, and our motivation for why we would put off hypocrisy is pride in ourselves. of, I'm not that type of person. Or fear. Gosh, if I'm a hypocrite and I'm found out, like if I do this secret thing on the side and then it comes to light, oh, no, what might happen to me? Right, and so we'll put off hypocrisy, but we're motivated by fear or self-centeredness, where it's like, well, I'll put off hypocrisy because I think that will make me happier because I'll just embrace who I am, and I'll be really happy. And you realize at the bottom of that pit is just, I'm just doing things just for me. And I, I don't know that there's a person in here that you would say, hey, I want the motivations of my life to be pride. I want to build my life on pride. Who, who sings that? We don't, we don't sing that. We say, I would build my life on your love. We don't sing, God, I would build my life on my own pride. No one wants that. Do you want that? No. No one wants to build their life on fear. No one wants to build their life on self-centered selfishness. No one wants that. Notice that Peter doesn't use any of those motivations to call them to this. But grace brings us a different motivation than what we find here in this world. He, he motivates them out of, you've come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So their motivation for change, their motivation for transformation is not pride, not fear, not selfishness, but Jesus, you're amazing. And you're profoundly good. You're profoundly merciful. And you're profoundly wise. You are chosen. And you are precious. And I'm just undone with who you are. That's what he's reminding them of what's really happened to them in the gospel. That's how he's motivating them. 
And then he says, more than that, in addition to that, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, that they've not just come to Jesus, but that God is building them with Jesus, linking them to him into a spiritual house, a house that's a part of God's renewal for the world. There's a, there's a purpose for their life that's way bigger and way better than anything they could have come up with on their own. And this is meant to be their motivation. This is meant to be the thing that's motivating them to, to take off envy, to take off malice, to, to let their longings be transformed because of how awesome Jesus is. And because of how great the calling of God on his people is. And how awesome the kingdom of God is. And that's the motivation. And so we see that grace transforms our character. Grace transforms our longings. And grace transforms our motivations. And those are the things that just press us into. God, here I am. Thank you. And I just say yes to what you're doing. Right, and I want to invite you to stand for us to respond. We've rearranged the service a little bit today just to create some more room for response, to create some more space for having our hearts warmed by the Word of God, to have some space of response of, oh, yeah, Jesus, you are so good. I forgot this week. I've forgotten a thousand different ways, but I'm reminded today of your goodness and your love and your mercy and your grace and your generosity and all of those things. And God, thank you for the way that you've put off these clothes. You've taken these things off of me. And God, I want to I wanna say yes afresh to you. The way you've changed my desires, the way you changed my motivations, right? Just give us time to, to bask in that, honestly. Just to marinate in that. This will do you good. This will do you right. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to have some efficiency come with communion. And when we take communion, we remember Jesus' body broken for us, his blood poured out for us, and the grace that we've received. And there's also this, yes, I'm going to say yes to this grace at work in my life. And just to give you more space to reflect, we're not going to take communion all at the same time. We'll have the efficiency at the front. You guys can come up. And the band's going to lead us in the three songs of worship. We're just going to take some time here. And when you're ready, when you've taken time to reflect on this and it just seems right to you, I want to invite you to come forward and to take of the bread and take of the cup. And you can return to your seat and, and take those as God would lead you. But let's let this stir our hearts and, and stir our love and our gratitude. And our just awe at how good Jesus is. Jesus, you're amazing. God, I ask more than anything that, that we would see that, that we would see your chosenness and your preciousness. And I'm asking that grace would take root in our community in powerful and profound ways, Lord. That, that our character would be changed, that marriages would be changed, that families would be changed, that roommates would be changed, that cities and nations would be changed, Lord, by the way that we receive the grace that you have for us, Lord. Let the longings of our heart be transformed to long for that which satisfies like a newborn babe longs for milk, Lord. God, I thank you that you don't motivate us out of shame or fear or pride or selfishness, Lord but that you call us up by how awesome you are and the amazing calling you've given us the privilege of being a part of. Let us just let that sink deep today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.